Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. This morning, we are continuing going through the book of Acts, the story of the early church. Remember that the resurrected Jesus told his disciples that they are going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But he told them, before you go out, wait here because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. God's presence to be inside of you, to empower you and strengthen you. And so they waited in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, they went and they proclaimed the gospel to all the nations, people who had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And the church grew like crazy over the next weeks in Jerusalem. But then all kinds of persecution hit them, and the church was scattered throughout Judea into Samaria. And as we're going to see today, to the ends of the earth as they knew it. Today is, is one of the most important uh, sections in the whole Bible. Um, it, it would have been much more meaningful back then than it is today. But essentially, this is the, first, the story of the first Gentile, non-Jewish converts, the first Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus. This is where uh, the faith grows and expands outside of just a Jewish thing to being this worldwide thing. And so we're going to look at the story of Peter and Cornelius this morning in Acts chapter 10. Beginning in Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. A centurion just means that he was over 100 men in the army. They kind of divided into groups of 100, and so he was over 100. He's a very important military leader, Italian, Gentile, military leader. Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of the attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.'" Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be the guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shiny clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with them. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what this means. Open our hearts to your message. Transform us as we meditate on your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this is a monumental moment in church history. For any of you sitting out here today who are not Jewish by birth, this is kind of the origin story. The first non-Jewish people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as you can tell, God is making it very obvious every step of the way, right? I mean, he does not always speak in visions and dreams and give this kind of direct revelation. But God wants to make it very clear to Peter and all who come with it, I am behind this. I am the one making this happen. He wants to make it very clear to Peter that he is widening the body here, the family of God. It's not just Jewish people. It's going to be the Jews and the Gentiles. And there's two main things I want to talk about from this passage that we learn about the united church that God is creating here. First of all is this, racism, nationalism, or any other kind of superiority is anti-gospel. God is making this very clear to Peter and all who come with him that any kind of racism, nationalism, any other kind of superiority is very much anti-gospel, anti-God. So this voice, this angel comes to Peter and speaks to him and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then Peter, when he gets to Cornelius' house, he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile 
or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, as you can probably infer from these verses, in those days, the Jews did not associate with non-Jewish people. And this was, not, this was not God's law. This was their custom. That's a better way of putting it. It's their custom not to associate at all with anyone who's not Jewish because they are impure, they are unclean, and you are going to make yourself unclean by affiliating with them. This is not God's law. On the contrary, from the beginning, God's plan was that he chose these people the Israelites, to be a light to the nations, a city on a hill, to bless them and through them to bless every nation of the world. You might remember in Genesis 12, where God says to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that was the beginning of the Jewish nation. He calls Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations in the world are going to be blessed. You are going to be part of this city on a hill, light to the nations. As you follow me, people will see your faith, they will see your God, and they will turn to me. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work out the way God had hoped. That the Israelites, instead of seeing this as You are chosen by me because I love you, and now you're going to be a blessing to others. What did they do? They took this election, and they made it a point of pride, of superiority, of thinking somehow that they had been chosen because of something about them, that they were better, that they could now look down on the other nations. But in Deuteronomy 7, God had told them this, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So again, from the beginning, God has chosen these people to be his holy people, a light to the nations through them to bring his salvation and blessing to the world, to redeem the world. But instead, they have seen God's choice of them, God's election, as a means, as a a matter of pride, as a reason to look down on those who are Gentiles, non-Jewish, to not associate with them, to see them as unclean. In fact, they had customs that if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, they would hold a funeral for that Jewish boy. Just as the way of saying he's dead to us, basically. It was not even lawful in their day to bring a Gentile, to help a Gentile woman who was giving birth bring a child into the world because, after all, they're bringing another Gentile into the world. There was all kinds of customs and laws that they had that were just full of hostility, full of nationalism, racism, full of feelings of superiority that were completely anti-God. And now God comes to Peter and makes it very clear to him that I don't want you to call anyone impure or unclean, that I call clean. All of this not associating with other people and looking down on them has to stop Peter. I am creating one family, one people, Jew and Gentile. This is your brother. This is your sister. You are related. No more nationalism, no more racism, none of that. It all has to come down. And Peter says this, I now realize that how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. I realize that now. 
This isn't about favoritism, God choosing favorites, that somehow we're better than they are. God accepts people from every nation, every ethnicity, every walk of life who fear him and do what is right. Any kind of racism, any kind of nationalism, any kind of superiority is anti-gospel. Any sort of approach that forgets the grace of God and sees that it's somehow that we are superior to another people is completely anti-God. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down every barrier, uniting people into one family, all who believe into one family. This is, read Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22. This is how Paul said it. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, so he's speaking now to Cornelius and his people, the Gentiles, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. So the Jewish people, that was the sign of the covenant with God was circumcision. And you can see the disdain here, even in this sentence, that they're considering themselves, we're the circumcision. We are the ones chosen by God. You are the uncircumcised. You are those who are less than us. So Paul here is saying, listen, you who are looked down upon by the Jews, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But... Now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Stop right there. So he says the dividing wall of hostility has been brought down. You might remember, in the temple there was an actual dividing wall that divided the Jews from the Gentiles, from the court of the Gentiles. And that wall had an inscription on it that forbade any foreigner from entering under pain of death. Again, that kind of, you stay out. You're not welcome here. And here Paul uses that imagery to say the dividing wall has come down. The two have become one. There's one family of God. He continues to say, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul says there once was hatred, division, disunity, but now in Christ, by his death on the cross, there's one family, one body. The dividing wall of hostility has come down. No more racism, no more nationalism, no more superiority of any kind. As Paul wrote in Colossians 3.11, there, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Again, I know we have a hard time really like grasping what this was like for Peter and those who came with him, how revolutionary this was. All of your life, you've been taught that you're God's special chosen people. You can't associate with those Gentiles because they'll corrupt you. They'll make you unclean. And now God, very clearly speaking through visions, directing this to let Peter know no more of that. No more. No more racism, no more nationalism, no more superiority. You are one. 
racism, nationalism, or any other kind of superiority is anti-gospel. And the second thing we learn from this is this. Even good people, in quotes, good people need the gospel to be right with God. I mean, the text makes sure we understand that Cornelius was a pretty good person. It said in verse 2, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Okay, so the text makes it clear. This is a pretty good guy. God-fearing, gifts to the poor, all of that. The angel of the Lord does not show up to say, you're doing a great job. God accepts you. Just keep on doing what you're doing, right? So be very careful not to interpret this passage where Peter says, you know, I see now that God accepts people from every nation who fear God and do what is right. He's not saying that God saves people from other religions who don't follow Jesus. He saves anyone who's a good person. We have an example here of someone who's a good person. And God sends the angel to say, you need to send for Peter so he can preach the gospel to you. What we have here is God showing us that those who seek for him will find him. Just like with that Ethiopian eunuch we read about a couple of weeks ago. As he was reading Isaiah 53, God sent someone to share the gospel with him. The good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus promises in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Or Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek and find me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is what's being taught here. We have this man, Cornelius, seeking after God, and God answers him by sending someone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way to be right with God. We don't have an example here of someone who's a good person, who's saved by their goodness, by their good works. We have an example of how God answers those who seek him will find him. And this whole vision thing, you know, many of you who know around the world, there are, there are many around the world who live in places where the gospel has not yet come, who find God through dreams and visions, that God does speak to people, especially in Muslim worlds, you'll find. People do, God does reach out to people through dreams and visions to reveal himself to those who seek for him. And so Peter comes and he shares the gospel with Cornelius. Again, going back to verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in, the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he goes and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection that all who believe in him will have their sins forgiven and will be right with God. And what happens? As they listen, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. They begin to speak in tongues. They become believers in Jesus Christ. And again, it's a clear sign to Peter. He says, wow, this is what happened at Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit fell on us. 
we began to speak in other languages. And he says, if God has done this to the Gentiles, then surely what this means is that they have been received by God into the family of God. Again, God makes it clear. He did this a couple chapters ago in Samaria as well, making it very obvious. The Holy Spirit falls, miraculous things happen to make it very clear. I am behind this. God is saying, these people are part of your family now. They are part of my family now. God accepts men from every nation. Anyone who seeks him will be found, will find him. But in the end, recognize that even a good person like Cornelius needed to be saved by Jesus. He wasn't saved by his good works. Romans three twenty to 24 reminds us, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, that's a way to be right with God apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's why we put good in quotes, right? Because he's saying everyone has sinned and fallen short, even good people. You look around the world, there's a lot of good people out there, you might think, from human standards. But he says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are in need of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Cornelius is an example of a good person seeking God, and God responds to his seeking by revealing himself to him, by sending someone to preach the gospel. He's not saved by his good works. He's saved by Jesus, death and resurrection. And now he is welcomed in. There's one family and one body. Romans 2, 28 to 29 says, A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, he's saying God's people are not one ethnic group. God's people are not those who've gone through some ritual. God's people, God looks past the outward appearance. God looks past rituals, and he looks to the heart. And he says those who are God's people are those who have received the spirit. Those who've had their hearts replaced and given God's new heart and new spirit. And so as he said in Ephesians 2.9, there's no boasting. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the gospel. How can there be any superiority among God's people? How can there be any racism, any nationalism, any other superiority? If you are saved by grace, if you are right with God, not because you're a better person than someone else, not because you're so moral, not because you are smarter than anyone else, not because you're born into the right family or the right people. How can there be any superiority, any looking down at anyone else, any pride? It is by grace you are saved. So he says, how can anyone boast? You're saved by grace, a free gift of God. How can anyone look down on anyone else? This is what Peter learns. This is what those who come with him learn. As they see Cornelius received into the family of God, he says, okay, now I get it. I realize that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts men and women from every nation who fear him and do what is right. No more superiority. No more looking down on anyone else. 
No more despising in other people. We are all one in Christ. The gospel destroys our pride. The amazing thing, if you know what happened with Peter, uh, later on, he's going to forget this, and Paul's going to have to confront him. In Galatians 2, 11 to 16, you see this interesting exchange. <clears throat> Paul writes, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So there was a group coming in to Galatia that was telling them, no, 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 you have to also become a Jew to be right with God. And Peter forgot the gospel and began to disassociate himself from the Gentiles. And Paul has to come and confront him. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, you like that? How he puts it? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, you are, you forgot the gospel. We're saved by grace. How can you separate yourself from the Gentiles? How can you somehow think that you're superior to them or they're going to make you unclean? You forgot the gospel, that we're all saved by grace. So when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. That is Paul saying that any kind of racism, nationalism, superiority is anti-gospel. You've forgotten the gospel if you start to disassociate yourself from other people and look down on them. That Jesus has created a new humanity. One people, one family. Galatians three twenty-eight to 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'll say it, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It means that you are a Christian first and an American second. You're Christian first and your race or ethnicity second. You're a Christian first and then anything else second. Your identity first and foremost is as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who belongs to the family of God. That is what unites us. No matter what else in this world might divide people, we are united as the family of God. <clears throat> Let me just leave you with a picture from Revelation 7, 9 through 10. The picture of the end of what it will be like in heaven. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. From the very beginning, this was the vision, that God was going to choose this people to be a light to the world, and through them, everyone would come back to the Father who created them. But that didn't go so well, that approach. And now in Jesus, he says, all the dividing walls have fallen down, and we have created one family, one people, united under Christ. And this is the vision of what we have to look forward to. And this is the vision of what we're supposed to create here, this side of heaven. Where no matter what in this world might separate people, in the church, in God's church, in God's family, 
we are one. We are united. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Wethersfield, Connecticut, and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship. 